0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is U.S. Farm Report.
1: Well, Cornhusker Country is the backdrop for U.S. Farm Report this weekend as our College Roadshow continues from the University of Nebraska. Cultivating diversity and a passion for agriculture.
2: Sometimes I feel like the words themselves sometimes can be a barrier.
1: The U.S. places a billion dollar bet on agriculture in the climate debate, but USDA isn't stopping there. In John's world?
3: What's up with fuel? Yes.
1: Plus a tasty tradition more than 100 years strong here in Lincoln.
4: I didn't realize when I got here how special this place is.
1: That and more during our College Roadshow
0: this week. The 2021 U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from the University of Nebraska is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Learn how Golden Harvest is changing the game in corn and soybean products and providing service to farmers by visiting goldenharvestseeds.com.
1: Climate and agriculture taking center stage this week at the COP26 summit in Scotland. U.S. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack traveling overseas to announce and promote several key initiatives launched at the summit. The first, the Agriculture Innovation Mission for Climate, or AIM for Climate. The U.S. joining with 31 countries and 48 non-government partners to increase public and private investment in climate-smart agriculture in their countries. Collectively, well, it adds up to $4 billion in commitments. Vilsack meeting next with the EU commissioner in Brussels, Belgium, following the announcement of a newly created transatlantic collaboration platform on agriculture. That collaboration designed to take on the global challenges of sustainability as well as climate issues. Also from the summit, more than 80 nations are teaming up to cut methane emissions, and that includes the United States. President Biden announcing a new effort to stop methane leaks from oil and gas drilling and invest in infrastructure abroad to limit global warming.
3: And One of the most important things we can do in this decisive decade is to keep 1.5 degrees in reach, is reduce our methane emissions as quickly as possible. As has already been stated, it's one of the most potent greenhouse gases there is. It amounts to about half, half the warming we're experiencing today.
1: The EPA estimates the rule regarding methane leaks would cut 41 million tons of emissions from 2023 through 2035. That's more greenhouse gas than all the carbon dioxide from U.S. cars and commercial airplanes in 2019. Well, the president starting his week at the G20 summit in Italy, where he touted two key breakthroughs. The first is an increase in funding meant to simplify customs and clearance procedures and in turn reduce supply chain delays. The U.S. and EU are also agreeing to erase tariffs on aluminum and steel. It's a move that Mr. Biden says will promote so-called green steel and aluminum production and restrict countries like China from dumping dirty steel into the marketplace.
5: It is a big step forward in fighting climate change. The arrangement is of course open to all like-minded partners. Steel manufacturing is one of the highest carbon emission sources globally. And for steel consumption and trade to be sustainable, we must address the carbon intensity of the industry. We must also address problems of overcapacity. And this is what the global sustainable steel arrangement is all about.
1: American Farm Bureau Federation Zippy Duval calling the agreement to end these tariffs welcome news for America's farmers, saying, quote, while the dispute centered around steel and aluminum, farmers were swept in the turmoil as the EU clamped down on U.S. agricultural exports like orange juice, butter, cheese, pork, nuts, and many more. It's crucial that we now restore those trade relationships, end quote. Well, another ag-related company has been hit by possible ransomware attack. The Wisconsin State Farmer reporting Schreiber Foods in Green Bay was targeted late last month. The company, which is one of the state's largest milk processors, was able to start accepting milk deliveries just last week. It said it was back producing dairy products and shipping products just five days after a cyber event halted operations. It's rumored the hackers demanded $2.5 million. Schreiber Foods makes a variety of dairy and cheese products. It's employee owned with more than 30 locations around the world. Well, John Deere union members voting this week to reject a new contract proposal reached between the UAW and the company, and that means that they will remain on the picket lines. Under the new contract, union workers would have received wage increases of 10%. The upfront pay would have been followed by 5% raises in the third and fifth years of the tentative contract. More than 10,000 workers in Iowa, Illinois, and Kansas have been on strike against the company since late last month. It's the first against Deer by the UAW in more than three decades. Well, for the third month in a row, the Ag Economy Barometer from Purdue University and the CME Group is showing a decline in farmer sentiment. The October barometer now stands at 121. That's three points lower than in September. Analysts say it's the result of producers' weaker perceptions in both current and future conditions.
6: There's clearly concern on the part of farmers about farm input price inflation. One-third of the producers in this month's survey said they expect to see farm input prices rise by 12 percent or more in the upcoming year.
1: Researchers say the Farm Capital Investment Index remains weak in large part because of supply chain problems. Well, the mild dry fall took a turn in Nebraska this week, and that means harvest progress has also been slow lately. But with the return of mild temperatures again, we'll have a check of your forecast coming up next. time now for a check of weather with meteorologist mike hoffman mike it's feeling a little bit more like fall here in nebraska this week and from talking to farmers rain has caused many more delays in harvest lately across the state
7: good morning to you tyne yeah, the good news is uh, most of the middle of the country has had dry weather for the past few days and you have a couple more before we start to get uh, more activity coming to the middle of the country but you can see the wet conditions southern mississippi valley parts of the great lakes right there parts of the northeast now on the wet side there's those wet areas parts of nebraska south dakota and look at this we haven't seen this in quite some time those wet areas parts of northern and central california and in nevada southern idaho still those dry areas that didn't get the rain over the past couple of weeks but that's a much better look than we have been having now long-term drought it takes a while to get rid of uh, of the drought conditions so we still have extreme to exceptional droughts parts of montana down into uh, california which we have to watch some dry areas but not too bad across the plain states and then you can see most of the east is not dry at all jet stream as we start this week we are warm and dry for most of the plains most of the great lakes because of this ridge this is going to be changing we have a a trough digging into the uh, area just north of the great lakes by tuesday on into Wednesday, and then another one coming into the northwest. As we head through the week, then, there you go, storm system diving into the uh, northern portions of the country. There's Thursday on into the weekend, a big cutoff low. That's been the pattern the past few weeks, to see these big cutoff lows, and that means some slow-moving storm systems. So, as we start uh, on Monday, no big storm systems anywhere. Just a little front there, some uh, rain and mountain snows western portions of the country especially maybe some lingering showers mid-atlantic states by wednesday then we start to see these storms coming together the one coming from the west the other one diving in behind it and you see some snow mainly to the uh, northern rockies with areas of uh, rain showers and maybe some thunderstorms into the central and southern plain states by friday then we will see that storm system coming together the main one initially will be uh... Going on up into Canada with this one uh, developing along the front. So we're going to have the west eastern third, I should say, of the country on the wet side as we end next week and into the weekend with some snow on the northern tier. And this is some cold air diving southward. That's going to be going pretty far south. So let's check our 30 day outlook for temperatures. Still going to go above normal for the northeast, eastern Canada. Uh, below normal, then from uh, Illinois, Missouri, all the way to Florida. Above normal, West Texas into the southwest. Below normal, far northwest. Precipitation over the next 30 days, southern tier states look below normal overall. Near normal in the middle of the country, above normal northeast, and also northwest, including the northern Rockies.
1: Tyne. Thanks, Mike. Well, when we come back, we're setting down with our University of Nebraska ag economists. From the turbulent trade picture to also looking at what USDA may have in store next week, that is all next. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report, our College Road Show. We have Corey Walters as well as John Bagan joining us here from the University of Nebraska. All right, Corey. Not a lot of harvest going on right now as I was driving up, kind of at a slow go as of late. But when you look at kind of the crop potential here in Nebraska, are yields better than what we expected heading into this year, considering the dryness that a lot of farmers experience?
6: Uh, that, that's what I've heard from the few producers I visit with is uh, very, very very nice yields and uh, some good prices.
1: Yeah, so corn, I mean, a little bit disappointing in some areas, yet better in others. soybeans, though. We're just hearing some monster yields as we head into USDA's big report next week what are some of the expectations and what could happen when it comes to the crop production picture next week
6: well if you, if you believe the u.s report or not it's going to matter and uh i i cannot predict which way that thing goes but but the the point is is that that thing uh we're going to learn more about that crop size and it's going to it's going to get transmitted right into that price and it's going to be a uh we're, we're up on price we're, we're gonna have more volatility. Um, it's going to be fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, can you believe the, that, that prices are holding considering we do have a pretty decent crop out in the field, it seems.
6: That, that's what puts us in a, a place that we've often we think of when, when we get those yeah. bigger yields, yeah. we, we see prices starting to drop and we're, we're, they're holding, they're going up. Um, it's a, a, a different time in ag. Uh, it's, it's revealing itself this year is that different things can happen that we have to survive through.
1: Yeah, survival like input prices. We'll get into that in a little bit. But John, also next week, I mean, USDA will update its trade picture. And I hear a lot of economists right now concerned about that trade picture just because of some big players like China, maybe not at the table like they, like they were. When you look at the outlook for trade, do you think we have a big risk when it comes to the demand picture?
5: Well, the uh, <coughs> China's uh, ramping up uh, of feed demand. I mean, the, the feed use, I think that's, that's kind of over, right? I mean, so that demand is now stabilized. And uh, so that could be one element uh, that's not going to look like uh, the last year. Uh, otherwise, I think the uh, the Biden administration has been and the new trade representative have been uh, calming things. And I think uh, we're, the, the, the climate, the policy climate is better than it was, I would say, two years ago. So that, that could be a positive element.
1: Yeah, a positive. And as you look at, at like the Biden administration this week in Europe, you know, you think about some of the barriers that ag products have like genetically engineered or, or GMO crops. Seeing some of that also in places like Mexico, do you think that GMOs ends up being a barrier when it comes to trade? Is that issue going to get worse? Uh,
5: no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, uh, uh the, the president of Mexico basically declared now that uh, the, the backlog of applications, I think we had like 23 applications that were uh, in the backlog, that those are going to be processed but uh, limited to feed use. And so, you know, is that going to take place? Yes or no, No, nobody knows at this point. Uh, In Europe, uh, GMOs, uh, that's always a a difficult topic. And uh, and so that's not going to be resolved uh, instantaneously. So for sure
1: so as you look at also some difficult topics when we look at tariffs and steel and aluminum tariffs made some headway this week rolling back some of those tariffs groups like american farm bureau coming out and saying listen this is really good news for agriculture at the end of the day is it do you think that does remove a barrier for ag products when it comes to exports
5: yes i think so i mean the retaliations uh, tariffs that uh, have hit and uh, hit agriculture are going to be removed so that's a, a positive development and i think we're moving uh, towards more managed trade. And so there is excess capacity that has to be managed on the steel part, but that's not really relevant for agriculture. But the fact that uh, the retaliation climate is uh, changing, uh, that's a positive development for sure.
1: Yeah, it seems like trade, um, yeah, there's still a lot of unknowns, but it seems like maybe a little bit more clarity, but it's not a top of the priority list for this administration like it was the last administration. But you know, as you look at that un- unknown, quarry there's also a lot of unknowns with input prices. I mean, as farmers navigate what they're going to book for next year versus this year, what are some factors they need to be thinking about?
6: First thing, fo- focus on profitability. Uh, the, the price for next year, corn, December, 2022 is up. It's sitting around, we're sitting around 550. The the budgets we've walked through, uh, there's still profit to be there. So if, you, if you're if you focusing just on the cost side and get pretty depressing, uh, you, have, you have to look at the output side as well. Um, And and when you go to choose to book, uh, be cognizant, these things can still come down. It's a long ways to planting, and there can be a lot of stuff resolved with higher prices.
1: I have another question about that, but we need to take a break. But later on the show, we've got more to talk about with trade. We've got more to talk about when it comes to these climbing input prices. We need to take a quick break though right now, and we'll have much more on U.S. Farm Report when we come back. (laughs) Well, it's not just farmers seeing the pain from higher fuel prices, but what's causing the rapid rise in the price you're paying right now at the pump? Here's John Phipps.
3: Every time we fill up a vehicle or our on-farm tanks, we notice the price a little more, and for good reason. Since May 2020, the worst of the COVID shutdown, national retail prices have nearly doubled. Of course, last May, many of us weren't going anywhere, whether for pleasure or work. But it turns out higher gas prices are the result of a number of perfect storms, so to speak. To begin with, the demand collapse stopped drilling in its tracks. Few oil producers can survive $16 oil for long. Tide oil from fracking saw the same drilling halt, but curiously output from fracking did not fall as far as expected. The industry overlooked the large number of wells already drilled, but not fracked or producing. So domestic supplies were reduced, but not as sharply as other energy supplies. Although tight oil has reduced us to very low net imports, OPEC Plus is still trying to keep prices as high as possible, and that affects U.S. oil prices. The pandemic almost overnight sharply reduced demand, and as farmers well know, a 10% drop in demand, for example, rarely produces just a 10% reduction in price. So as inventories began to mount, gas got cheap. There were other factors. The Texas freeze crippled much of our refining capacity, which took months to come back online. Hurricanes, especially Ida, shut down oil production in the Gulf. Turning that oil into gasoline became trickier. Although gasoline inventories shown here in gold were not terribly far from average, they weren't in the right places. And transporting anything since the pandemic was and is problematic. But if the pandemic caught us off guard, the rapid demand recovery did the same. With an enormous savings in the bank, American consumers took back to the road and the stores while refiners and producers were still repairing the system. Now throw in bottlenecks we didn't even know existed like trucker shortages and possibly permanent commuting pattern changes. And I'm amazed gasoline is as available as it is at prices we don't like but at least we've seen before. Finally for fuel, like many other industries such as say old fertilizer pick one at random, strong demand and market uncertainty presented an opportunity for sellers to recover some lost profits from 2020. Luckily, fuel prices, excluding crop drying, are a relatively small factor in the overall costs of farm production. It's hard to point to government policies that would have been able to prevent this web of events, but I doubt that will stop us from trying.
1: Thanks, John. You can email John your thoughts on that at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, when we come back, a tractor treasure, machinery feet, his tractor tails next.
5: Hey, welcome back
4: to Tractor Tales, folks. This week, you're heading my way to the land of 10,000 lakes, and we're going to check out a very
3: special farm-all all C. This is a
8: 1948 uh, C. Uh, this was our dad's, so we all grew up on this tractor, pretty much, you know, and this was uh, basically the main workhorse for years on the farm. It had uh mounted corn planter on it, and the mower, and rake, tape with it. about anything that needed to be cultivator, so it uh, did a lot of work around here. This one's been all restored by a guy over by uh, Elgin, Minnesota. He's done, he did the mower, and he's done a lot of my tractors already and does an excellent job on them. And priced a little higher than some, but I guess you get what you pay for, right? <laughs> That's original tires on it and everything yet, so, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty good for that day and age, you know. They're about 18 horse, they are. You know, they ain't uh, real powerful, but for a little tractor, you know, they really uh, pull more than their weight. had a two-bottom plow for it, and I think the brother Bill, he was plowing with it when he was six, seven years old, he said. So, so that tells you how far back it was. <laughs> if that's the first tractor I planted corn with, with a four-row planter when I got out of high school. Dad said it was time for me to plant corn, so four-row planter in the sea, you thought you had a big outfit. Yeah, I'd say it's probably my favorite one. I well, just that it was dad's, you know, and we managed to keep on to it. Oh, I think it's, uh, you know, after we're gone, you know, I'm hoping one of the my boys or somebody will uh, keep it around.
1: Well, when we come back as agriculture grows and changes, so do the faces finding some of the innovative solutions to solve the world's agricultural needs. We will tell you exactly how in next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. The 2021 U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from the University of Nebraska is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Learn how Golden Harvest is changing the game in corn and soybean products and providing service to farmers by visiting goldenharvestseeds.com. While
1: well, the word agriculture is packed with a lot of different definitions, and as technology and data play an even bigger role, jobs within agriculture are becoming even more diverse. But that diversity is also happening here at the University of Nebraska. The routine on college campuses across the country is getting back to normal. Classrooms are also starting to fill back up.
2: Why aren't we seeing more diverse students in our classroom, right? That's kind of where it started, right? A problem that was there even before the pandemic, but one that didn't stop here. And then we're also hearing from industries like, hey, I need more diverse employees, right? Where are they? And so that got us thinking about like what can we do about it? Seeing a need to bring more
1: diversity in agriculture, a group at the University of Nebraska came across a USDA NEFA grant, and then they created Cultivate Access.
2: Cultivate Access stands for Cultivate Agricultural Career Communities to Empower Students in STEM. I think it captures just the the agricultural aspect so well. So I really fell in love with that term. and. Since then, we've just kind of embraced that cultivate access.
1: The two-year project does just that, cultivates relationships and access for everyone. But the focus today is on two main groups.
2: We're seeing an increasing population of Hispanic youth in our K-12 system. And we start to think about what is the cost if these youth are disengaged from what is a big part of Nebraska's economy, which is our food and ag system. So that is in many ways driving our interest in this. We also see uh, a real lack uh, of women in STEM roles, particularly in the food and ag system. And so we wanna make sure that we're cultivating the next generation of women leaders in that industry. With student staff and
1: faculty working together, the programs connect youth in rural areas with current
2: university Nebraska students. And then we bring in an industry professional as needed to make sure that they're understanding, okay, if I enter this area, here's what my job could be down the road.
1: Cultivate Access also created a fellows program this year, helping connect with high schools across the state.
2: Kids these days, they, they all have a genuine altruistic need to change the world, right? Make the world a better place. How do we connect that to what ag needs? So that's part of it.
1: As Kihani and others work to cultivate diversity,
2: relationships are the bridge to
1: success.
2: Sometimes I feel like the words themselves sometimes can be a barrier. So part of what we're realizing is it's so important for us to you know, create spaces to have these conversations and that comes from building relationships. So
1: As the landscape of food and agriculture across Nebraska and the U.S.
2: changes, challenges of tomorrow may start with diversifying those ideas today. Research shows that when you have gender diversity, racial diversity in organizations, you end up having more creative solutions, creative solutions that are sprouting from helping young minds find their passion. If you're interested in math or Mm -hmm. interested in robotics, Mm -hmm. there's a ton of opportunities in the ag industry, right? It's more than just working in the fields and things like that. So I just want them to like see the different career opportunities.
1: It's cultivating a future in agriculture that could look much different from what it does today. When we come back, we get back into our talk about markets. More from the 2021 College Roadshow from the University of Nebraska is next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Kubota. Together, we do more.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. All right, Corey, the last roundtable, we talked a little bit about input prices. I mean, prices are climbing it seems like by the day you look at some of these fertilizer prices, uh, you know, when you, when you equate it all out, climbing like $45 a, a week, it seems like no, zen, no end is in sight when you look at these black swan events. But do you think it's a given that fertilizer prices continue to climb as we head into spring?
6: No, not not in the slightest. Uh, uh, there's plenty of time for new information to enter these things. Um, and, and it well we usually focus on the output price side it is a year to focus on the the input price and how to manage those things so we it's we got to get back to to our fundamentals of of goals and objectives and really watch how we how we enter and walk through this and uh, i would say oftentimes our our, the folks that have been in this a long time our grandma grandpas uh, learn from them they've been through this before
1: john when you look at what's driving these higher input prices a lot of it is political issues around the world. And so when you look at some of those and you look at some of the products that we import here and the fertilizer that we input here, import here, what could happen? What could be resolved that would actually help input prices and, and we could see them retreat?
5: Well, right now we have a, almost a perfect storm of you know, high energy prices, uh, uh, China cutting its production because of uh, high coal prices and uh, energy prices as well. In Europe, they're suffering for a very high gas prices. Yeah. Uh, then we have supply disruptions in the U.S. You look at the lack of uh, um, integration, for instance, for uh, potassium-based uh, uh, fertilizer. I mean, we have prices in the U.S. now almost uh, 700 dollars a metric ton. The same in Brazil, yet the Vancouver price is around 225 or something like that. So you have, you know, obviously there are supply disruptions that could be resolved. Uh, you know, t- transportation issues that. Um, my sense are momentarily and and so so they they could be resolved uh, in that sense.
1: John, how realistically do you think it is to think that those issues will be resolved, uh, like transportation and some of those other issues in China?
5: Geez, no no yeah uh, the, if you look at the the outlook for fertilizer the, the world bank says that 2022 will we won't see price increases but uh, price will be steady at where they are so that's that's the outlook from uh, from the world bank on fertilizer prices so that's not the great news but it's not not increasing but uh, uh, the, the problems won't be resolved uh, instantly i mean in- quickly yeah. so.
1: well as you've seen these prices climb i mean it has been painful but yet we aren't at the highs that we saw in 2008. Now, that was a completely different scenario, right? That was demand-driven, not supply-driven. Uh, but you know, as you're looking at, should I pre-book, should I not, what should I do? The fear of that prices will go higher. If you're talking to a producer today, what is your advice?
6: Profitability, funnel everything through a, a budget. Uh, look at that profitability. If you're gonna book, you better be, you better be forward contracting something on that uh, because those prices right now through the budgets we've worked through, or still we still got positive profit, but clearly the, the the risk exposure, the financial risk exposure is growing, and we have to manage that because there's more money going out into this these these crops.
1: John, as we close 2021, which it seems hard to believe now, we're in, in November, but as we close 2021, we're also coming to the end of the phase one trade agreement with China. Hard to believe since it's something that we're just not talking about as much as we were at the beginning of this, this agreement. If you had to give this agreement in total a grade of how China has lived up to their end of the end of the deal, what grade would you give it?
5: Uh, grade, I don't know. But I, I think China has done well on the, the commitment to purchase uh, ag product from yep. the U.S. And uh, that was helped, of course, by the rebuilding of the, the, the herd, the hog herd. Uh, no, are they going to keep doing that uh, in the future? That's no, no, nobody knows. Um, but are, you know, there were many other measures in the phase one agreement, for instance, on biotech approvals. And so now we don't have enough time yet to see if they're really uh, going to uh, do what they, they said they would do. So, uh, so, so we'll see. So the, jur- the jury is out. So I don't know, a B, a B. A be a be at this great. Point. Yeah, and
1: do you think that we will see a phase two or is that not even in the realm of possibility at this point?
5: The, the Biden administration doesn't seem too focused on trade and uh, so my sense is no, but uh, we'll see.
1: All right, Don Corey, thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful brisk day here in Nebraska. We appreciate you both. All right, we need to take a quick break and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. Well, students preparing to graduate this school year are in for an opportunity of a lifetime. Not only do they have a chance to land their dream career, but with today's labor market, companies are also being aggressive and hiring skilled and motivated employees. But what it takes to land that job is happening not just in the classrooms, across campus right now. Students across the University of Nebraska are on the quest for a career. I really just
9: love helping students. Um, As an education major, part of the reason I came to college was just to help teach people. I love doing that and being able to help teach peers,
1: people my age. As a junior, Stephanie Stevens knows exactly what she wants to do, get into extension, And it's education that Stevens and others on the team are using to help current students ultimately land a career.
9: As a peer career coach, we have students come in to either resume labs or our personal office hours. We help with resumes, cover letters, sometimes conduct mocked interviews just to get people started in the job search process, even getting ready for an interview.
1: From one college student to another, these peer career coaches are the key in building confidence.
9: A lot of students, just really started to listen to each other when somebody would ask about an internship they'd want to go find somebody who had interned for another organization
1: whether it's a student reaching out for a resume help or someone wanting to prep for an interview it's these students who set the stage for success
9: I've learned so much so when I actually came in as a peer career coach
1: um, my freshman year as a college student um, my resume was on a Google
9: Doc template um, which is
1: a huge no-no but it's this piece of paper that's often your chance to make a memorable first impression
9: experts say that they will look at your resume for seven to maybe 30 seconds the first time an employer looks at your resume so if you are not getting the information you need to across really quickly your your resume and your application is going in the trash
1: whether it's small tweaks or larger resume revisions stevens and huffman say there are simple resume tips that can make a major impact
9: A lot of people use templates because they think that's an easy way to use it. But a lot of times manipulating them is very difficult and they'll have crazy colors, fonts, things like that. And so we usually take that information and then start from scratch.
1: It's these career coaches that seem to be in even higher demand today. I
9: think after COVID, everybody's really feeling the effects of the social distancing and not being around students. Um, So it's super cool to just be able to connect with students um, in person, one-on-one. Um, again, If you look at it, our freshmen, sophomore, and juniors have not gone to a career fair, haven't had experiences that other generational units of, or cohorts of students have had. So it's important for these peers to come and be active and be engaged with the student body.
1: From holding career conversations in person again to a handshake that just may be a conduit for career. This career coaching advice could stick with these students for life.
9: Since the peer career coach program started, we actually have had classes start to use the peer career coach program, so they will have students come as a class assignment to visit the career coaches. So it's an automatic built into all of our programs, and then students are seeing success. Some good resume advice
1: there. Thank you.
9: All right, when we come back,
1: John Phipps.
3: Corrections, clarifications, and omissions.
1: John Phipps rejoins us this weekend from his farm in Illinois. John?
3: This week, three quick responses to some recent comments and questions from my response to the USB in carbon capture payments. Wait, did you just call all of us farmers climate deniers? I have, Now, I have no idea how I did this, but I lost this gentleman's original email, so please resend your address for a mug. Okay, I went back and checked. Second, I find it ironic, if not hypocritical, for organizations to profess concern for greenhouse gas emissions when I find no evidence the majority, or even a significant minority, of their members believe in anthropogenic, man-made, climate change. Again, I would be happy to be proven wrong, but judging from the emails and conversations I get when I just mention global warming, I think our industry is mostly climate deniers. I said I thought most farmers were climate deniers. However, this is an inaccurate shorthand way of saying man-made climate change deniers, which was the context of my assertion. If emissions are not the main driver, then mitigation may be pointless. I apologize for the confusion, but that that ratio is probably close. I tried some new searches using man-made instead of anthropogenic and discovered Iowa farmers have been surveyed on this exact question since 2011. And this is from the 2020 Iowa Farm and Home Survey. As you can see, While increasing, most Iowa farmers do not consider man-made causes to be the main driver of climate change. Now, is Iowa typical of farmers nationwide? I have no idea. But I remain skeptical that the environment is uppermost in farmers' minds compared to possible payments for carbon capture. While a slowly growing proportion of farmers there believe human action is the primary driver, That trend is matched by those judging man and nature to be equally to blame, although how these dual contributions came out to be 50-50 strikes me as a convenient but improbable result. Okay, and Craig Meyer's response to my disbelief, China is buying the farm, so to speak. You ask for another example of big ag owned by China. How do you categorize Syngenta? I did answer this question. And what I did was cited China's plan to sell the company to public investors. But that looks doubtful now. The point, though, is moot. Because I forgot, Syngenta was not an American company. It was Swiss. Finally, from Ian Lo- uh, Owen Loak, John, could you talk if your hands were tied? I have no idea. I've never tried. As always, send me an address. Questions are the only way to get a mug.
1: Thanks, John. I can relate to that. In my mind, talking is like walking. It requires your arms and your hands. Well, what does it take to create a tasty ice cream concoction? Well, some creativity and a whole lot of science. We'll reveal that recipe next.
0: Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on Earth. Join Andrew McRae for Farming the Countryside, a farmer-focused podcast all about production agriculture. Brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven, the nitrogen-producing microbes that stay put, whether or not. Visit pivotbio.com.
1: Well, if you found yourself eating more cheese or ice cream during the pandemic, you weren't alone. Dairy consumption actually hit an all-time high. And one of the contributors, ice cream, a food in which Nebraska fans have been finding comfort for more than a century here at the dairy store. Walking through these doors,
4: I didn't realize when I got here how special this place is. A tasty tradition is a landmark here on campus, it's been around since 1917. I've been serving milk and ice cream for over 100 years.
1: While the storefront has seen a facelift, the ice cream concoction has not changed. The flavor that is our flagship flavor is scarlet and cream. A colorful creation that boasts the Nebraska Cornhusker Red and White.
4: It's a strawberry, uh, it's got a strawberry swirl and a vanilla ice cream, and it's just kind of the one that everyone kind of, it's an old, it's an old favorite for everybody here.
1: While some flavors are a tribute to the past, others are inspired by something new.
4: You know, most recently we, we named one after our new university president, Ted Carter, and so we have Carter's Coffee Crunch and he and his family had some inspiration there. They got to provide some input to it. We have uh, a flavor for our football coach, Butterscotch Frost, uh, and we've had others like that in the past. Today,
1: this is where the creative creations come to life.
4: We make all of this, all the ice cream and cheese,
1: on our our, our innovation campus dairy plant. What used to be the Nebraska State Fairgrounds has turned into a breeding ground for food ingenuity. I can kind of nerd out on you on the science if you want. Science that's often overlooked by ice cream lovers everywhere.
4: The most important things really how those ice crystals are formed, and so making sure they stay small and tiny so that your tongue doesn't detect them so if your tongue can detect either ice crystals or the sugar crystals then there's a there's an error happening in the production process so we're we're trying to coach those students into what you know excellent ice cream looks like and tastes like so that they can uh, continue to make the highest quality that we can
1: anywhere from a dozen to 15 students are the most important part of this recipe
4: and so for us in food science it's a place a chance for them to learn about food production quality control, uh, product development, and all sorts of aspects of the food industry so that when they graduate, they're ready and prepared for their career.
1: A career that may have endless opportunities thanks to innovative creations that will continue to come to life. Well, the dairy store was forced to shut down for several weeks during the pandemic, but where they did find success was with their gift boxes full of cheese. In fact, they actually sold 50% more cheese last December than they did the previous year. So there's an idea for this year if you're looking for a great Christmas gift. And by the way, I was just in there. There was no shortage of cheese. Well, that does it for our College Roadshow from the University of Nebraska. We're wrapping it all up next week as we hit the road for a final Roadshow stop at Ohio State. I hope you join us as we work to build on our tradition. <laughs>
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.